Hi, and welcome to this edition of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host and author, J.C. Bodden. In this week's podcast, I'll be sharing with you the next chapter from my novel, Someone to Watch Over Me. This book is the first in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series and tells the story of Devlin's daughter, Jenny, who has taken a job on campus as a dorm resident advisor. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next installment, Someone to Watch Over Me, as well as the other three books in the Devlin O'Quinn series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. You can check out my website, jcboden.com, that's j-c-b-o-d-d-e-n.com, for more information and the link to my Amazon page. Now, let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 110, Someone to Watch Over Me, chapter 10, Rescue. Jenny's Story The ambulance departed, leaving Joe and me standing beside each other on the sidewalk. My knees started shaking so hard I had to sit. Joe squatted beside me, his hands on his knees. He smiled encouragingly. He tapped my knee and then said, Okay, spelling the letters at the same time with his fingers. I nodded and pushed my hair out of my face, trying to force myself to smile. Two uniformed city police officers arrived, their names embroidered on their shirts. Borden and Hunter. Joe stood and scrubbed his hands down the front of his jeans before he took my hand to help me up. Which one of you called this in? Borden asked. I did. I'm Jenny O'Quinn. Are you related to Detective O'Quinn with the city police department? Hunter spoke. I'm his daughter. I realized I was still gripping Joe's hand, but I didn't let go. I needed his strength. I'm sure he'll want you to come to the station to make your statement. Hunter glanced at Joe. And you are? This is my friend, Joe Halliday. I squeezed his fingers and took a step closer to him. He was tall and solid and radiated a warmth that I desperately needed at that moment. We'll need a statement from you too, sir. Joe was staring down, down at me, an odd expression on his face, and I wondered if he understood what Hunter said. He needs us to give a statement at the police station, I explained. I reluctantly separated myself from Joe so I could gather my backpack and the pieces of my phone. Joe retrieved his work shirt from the sidewalk, now crumpled and bloody, and held it up for a moment, frowning. His name patch was clearly visible, but the rest of the shirt was soaked. Holding it gingerly with two fingers, he walked to a nearby trash can and flipped it in. In the squad car, I resisted the urge to slide across the seat and cling to Joe, managing instead to hold myself together until we were led to two different interview rooms at the station. Once I sat down, I began to shake again, and I couldn't stop. Thank God Dad got there quickly. Come here, baby. It's okay now. He held me in a tight embrace, and slowly the trembling stopped. Nothing had ever made me feel better. Thanks, Dad, I finally managed. Is she all right? He stepped back and ran his fingers through his hair, a sure sign of distress. She's in surgery at the hospital, had a knife wound to the abdomen. Did you find out her name? Amy Patterson. Anyone you know? No, I've never seen her before. Jenny, she... Dad broke off and paced a lap around the room, then stopped and leaned against the corner of the table beside me, crossing his arms. What, Dad? Forget it. He waved his hand over his head, dismissing whatever he had been about to say, with a shake of his head. I have to go over what happened with you. Okay, baby? Where's Joe? He's in the next room, giving a statement to Roger. It's standard procedure, sweetie. You know that. Does Roger know that Joe has to be able to read his lips? I told him, honey. He saved her, Dad. He used his shirt to control her bleeding, and that was after I smacked him. You smacked him? He ran up behind me, and I thought, 
I whirled around and lit into him before I knew it was Joe. Dad snorted, and I realized he was proud of me. Here, honey, sit down. He squeezed my arm. Are you ready to tell me about it? I nodded reluctantly. I guess so. I don't really want to. The sooner the better, Jenny. You know that, too. Yeah, okay. Let's get it over with. I repressed a shudder. That's my girl. Dad turned on a video camera in the corner of the room and then settled again on the edge of the table facing me. Close your eyes and describe what happened, like you're watching a movie. I was coming out of the library, and I heard something. I saw two people fighting. I yelled something, I think. It all happened so fast. I, well, the guy turned toward me, and I thought he was coming after me, but then he ran the other way, across the quad, back toward town. I saw the blood and called 911. Then Joe ran up, and I turned around and smacked him, knocked the wind out of him. Then he took off his shirt and knelt beside her and helped her. And then everyone came. That's it, I guess. Okay, honey, that was good. Now I need to ask some questions, okay? I nodded. Did you get a look at the attacker's face? No, Dad, sorry. He was too far away. That's all right. I'm glad you weren't any closer. Okay, now you say he. Are you sure it was a man? Well, uh, no, not really. I guess I just assumed it was. That's okay. How big a person was the attacker? I don't really know. God, I'm not being very much help, am I? No, no, it's all right. You helped by just being there. You scared him off and called 911. Exactly the right things. You probably saved her life. Now, size. Was the attacker taller than his victim? Amy? I closed my eyes. Um, yeah, taller. I think about three or four inches taller and heavier, too. Maybe that's why I thought it was a man. Okay, good. Now, about clothes. Anything you remember? Um, some sort of hat, like a cap, a baseball cap. It was pulled low over his face. Anything else? Long pants, dark colors. Everything was dark colors. Okay, kiddo, you've done great. Anything else, like glasses or a watch or tattoos? I don't remember, Dad. Sorry. Sweetie, you've got nothing to be sorry about. I'm going to check on Roger and look over Joe's statement, and then I'll get Borden and Hunter to drive y'all home. He stood and turned off the camera. I'm going to need to stay here and work this case. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, Dad, I'm okay, really. Thanks. Joe's story. You wouldn't believe it, his foster father was saying to his wife as the boy came back down the stairs. That lawnmower was completely put back together. No instruction. He's got natural born talent, that one. His foster mother looked up and saw the youngster standing shyly in the kitchen doorway. Of course he does. All God's children do. It's our job to find out what that talent is and nurture it. She smiled at the boy and went over and took his hand, leading him to his spot at the table. Come on and get your breakfast now, honey. Staying up all night to work on a lawnmower is hungry work. The other children noisily filled in and took their places around the large dining room table. After the youngest child there had recited Grace, Travis looked over at his roommate. Where have you been? The boy looked at Travis and then up at his foster father. Um, he was helping me in the workshed, Travis. Cool. With that, the conversation turned to plans for the day, most of the children talking at once. Travis turned back to his friend and smiled. The boy smiled tentatively back. A rush of emotion flooded his mind. Pride, friendship, belonging, respect. And it was suddenly all too much. He had never experienced so many different good feelings at the same time. In confusion, he pushed his chair back from the table and stood up. All conversations stopped and all eyes turned to him. 
He looked from Travis to each of the other children. Then he looked at his foster father, poised in mid-bite, a smile on his kind face. Next he turned to his foster mother, who had been pouring more orange juice for one of the children sitting across the table. She, too, smiled expectantly at her silent child. Um, he faltered. All eyes stayed focused on him. Um, the table was so still that it seemed everyone was holding their breath. Um, after a moment more, he turned and ran from the room. No one else moved. Not a word was spoken. After a couple of heartbeats, Travis pushed back his chair and started to rise. No, no, Travis, you stay here, the mother said. I'll go. I think he needs me. She set down the juice pitcher and went down the hall. Behind her, a conversation around the table slowly returned to normal. Hey, honey, she said when she found him, curled up in a ball on the rug in front of the old television. She knelt down beside him and stroked his head. You're going to be okay, aren't you? He hiccuped softly and turned his tear-stained face toward her. I miss my mom, he whispered. I know you do, honey. I know. He looked up into her warm brown eyes and pushed himself to a sitting position. She's dead, he said. It was both a statement and a question. Yes, honey, she's dead, she nodded gently. He inched closer to his foster mother on the rug. She put her hand on his. She didn't love me, he said. This time was all question. I'm sure she loved you, honey. That's not why she died. She died because someone did something very bad to her. I could have saved her. Oh, no, honey, that's not true. You couldn't have stopped that man. You're just a boy. He sat quietly for what seemed like a long time. If she hadn't died, then I wouldn't have come to live here. He looked up into his foster mother's face. Well, yes, I suppose that's true. She smiled at him. I'm Joey, he said. He didn't really understand why she had to wipe a tear from her cheek, but after she did, she replied, Glad to meet you, Joey. I'm Mama Tilly. That concludes this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 111 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.